Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the managing director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast. If you are a new listener, welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the podcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. You might be a parent, teacher, teaching assistant, or other professional working within SEND. The podcast is here to support you. This week, my guest is Sue White. Sue joined Widget in 2018 and is now a senior educational specialist. Before this, she was a teacher and a SENCO. And this week, we're discussing how schools can build positive well-being among students. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B Squared. We are the assessment people. We help show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools to show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. If you're a primary school struggling to show progress, struggling with the engagement model, unsure about the pre-key stage standards, you have children with spiky profiles, we can help. Did you know you can use B Squared's assessment software for more than just pupils with SEND? You can now assess all pupils in one system, saving you time and money and simplifying the whole assessment process. Visit the B Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. On this week's show, we're discussing how schools can build positive well-being among students. My guest this week is Sue White. Sue is a senior educational specialist at Widget, which she joined in 2018. Before this, she was a teacher in Senko, and Sue has spent her career helping pupils to communicate and join in lessons. And through Widget, she supports schools to use symbols and to enable pupils to communicate. Welcome to the show, Sue. Thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, you are very much welcome. So anxiety and mental health are very big topics at the moment, but it doesn't always require big changes to support your pupils, does it? No, I think you're right. And definitely in terms of anxiety and mental health being big topics at the moment, there was a, a survey this year, actually, by the Children's Mental Health Charity Place to Be and the School Leaders Union, NAHT, which revealed that the vast majority of staff working in schools had witnessed increased levels of pupil anxiety since the start of the school year, in contrast to normal autumn terms before the pandemic. So it really is a big hot topic. And as you say, you don't have to make big changes. Obviously, I'm coming from a background of visuals and symbols. So from my aspect, it's about giving children the tools to be able to express their emotions when they might not be able to do that. I do find visuals are easier to follow from just for everyone. So we on our website, if you go to our support site, you'll find lots of written how to do things. Yeah. And people will read them when they're trying to do something. They're a bit, I don't know how to do this. I'll read it and go, I still have no idea what to do. So we have a lovely video which shows you what to do. And therefore, you know exactly what you should do and what it should look like. So sometimes when you read, you can miss things. So I do think from visually seeing things, I do think helps. I know we're not talking about symbols in that context, but I think there's something about simplifying that communication Yeah, really makes a big difference. Well, absolutely, because we process visuals so much faster than we process language sort of you know particularly verbal language 
And when we are anxious, our brain basically goes into sort of fight or flight mode and your kind of reptilian brain at the back of your head kind of takes over your central executive and it, it basically shuts down any kind of logical, natural reasoning. So if you see a visual, then it's much easier to process that and to be able to kind of respond to that. And that that's, you know, particularly say when you're anxious or when you have sensory processing overstimulation and you've got that physiological reaction to something, which means that you literally can't think about anything, a visual can get through, whereas words often don't. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you think when you when the whole fire exit thing and building is completely different tangent, but fire exit is always the same signage. Yep. So you're not really reading the word fire exit. You're looking for green and white. You're looking for light. When you're on a plane, you're looking for the same thing. It's always the green and white. It's more of a visual recognition thing. Yeah. And I love that thing about your brain shutting down because I always hear about things when you're on a plane and you're in a panic when you try to take your seatbelt off, you revert to doing it the car way and you're looking for that button on your side. Absolutely, yeah. Rather than going for the thing in the middle because it's what you're used to. When you hear seatbelt, that brain shuts down, seatbelt releases on my side, it's not there, panic. So, you, so your visual, your symbol just just kind of cuts through that panic mode and you're able to sort of process that to understand what you might do. Or it might be in cases of frustration and anxiety and anger that it's something that will actually allow you to calm down, which obviously is then going to be helping your mental health and your well-being as well. So I've, I've never been a teacher, so I've never used symbols. So I know I've worked with PECs a little bit, so I know about PECs and bit about that and I learned some of my misconceptions around pecs so and I've seen I've been in lots of schools where there are lots of symbols around so just give me a quick run through if you can around AAC and symbols and using the benefits just let's start there because I always like starting at the beginning with some of these things okay is that all right yeah so I think the benefits of using, I'll start with visuals because the benefits of using visuals allow us to kind of go into the, the Fleming three ways of learning. So visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Lots of young children are visual learners, sort of, especially before the age of seven, where before their brains kind of lateralize, they're left brain learners. So visuals are really useful for them in just in terms of enhancing their use of learning. But a visual can actually contain too much information sometimes. So a photograph, for example, might be very busy and not really explain what it is that you're trying to get across. Whereas a symbol defines a concept very simply and very easily. The example I like to use is, is one of a library. So if you have a photograph of a library but you've never seen a library before, you don't know what a library is, it's just not part of your vocabulary, might be English as an additional learner, student, then you don't know what a library is. You see a photograph, you, you see lots of books, you can maybe see a carpet, you might see the lights, there might be people in the library, a staircase going up to a mezzanine or a second floor or whatever. You don't know what a library means from that photograph. A symbol, and particularly widget symbols, are very, um, they have that concept. So a symbol for a library is a, a basic building, like a child would draw a house, two sides and a roof, with a book in it. So it gets across that idea very clearly that a library is a room or a building with books in. 
So that's kind of the difference, if you like, between visuals in general or photographs and specific symbols. So the way that they can be used is to interpret language, giving children the vocabulary that they need to understand what it is that a teacher might be talking about, to express an emotion, as we talked about earlier on, or um, simply if they are nonverbal, which is in the case that you were kind of mentioning in terms of augmentative and alternative communication, that it gives them an opportunity to be able to make choices. PEX cards, picture exchange communication system, can actually use any picture or any photograph or any object of reference. You can put a symbol on that in the same way as you can put a photograph on. If you put a symbol of an apple on, you know you're going to get an apple rather than a photograph that might also have a drink in the background. Yeah. So I think that's 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 where they come from. So in terms of that AAC very specific market, whereas actually symbols can be used much more broadly, then it's around giving children that choice, that voice, that way of expressing themselves. But you can move that, if you like, into a mainstream setting where a child might be selective mute, they might just not have the vocabulary for speech and language reasons, or given that so many teachers now are seeing the pandemic has had an effect on the vocabulary, children just might not know that word. So again, yeah. Symbol can explain it. Symbol can help them communicate. They can make the choice of what they want from the dinner menu. Yes. For example. I was lucky enough a couple of years ago to, I don't think my daughter enjoyed the day, but I did. We went up to Solihar, and I think it's the Jaguar Range Rover factory where they build the cars. And we went into the factory and watched the production line. And one of the things that it's one of the probably just took a step back and thought about it is they have various size nuts and bolts and washers and things like that. And they have these machines. So I think they have like those air guns for doing wheel nuts, but they get loaded with the bolts yep. automatically. It's like a conveyor belt. So right. you just do and a bolt comes out and he does it, but it will only work if it's got the correct bolt in. If you put the wrong size bolt in, there's a huge long line of the wrong size bolts. It's all got to be cleared out. The whole production line stops because if one thing stops on that production line, everything stops. And when they filled them, they used to compare the product codes. Okay. So somebody would go to that bolt, look at the product code, look at that product code. Yeah, it's the same. Pour it in. And people made mistakes. Right. What they did is they put sim a shape, a different shape. So all of these are an equilateral triangle, yeah. whereas these bolts are squares. And now you just have to match a shape. Absolutely. Which made life so much easier. Yeah. And they have less mistakes. So even us adults. Exactly so. And I think that's that's it. You mentioned Jaguar Land Rover. We, we live in the Midlands, which is based in Warwick, and we are currently undergoing HS2 works everywhere. And every time you go down a road, there's a great big long list of, of road closures and dates and times. And by the time you've gone past it, you, you, you can't read what's on that sign. All you need to know is that it's going to be closed on such and such a date. And the simpler information with the, the symbol that shows you that would actually convey it. So, yeah, just condensing things, putting something in visual makes it so much easier. So with symbols, generally, whenever I've seen them, it is a much simpler sentence. It is, you're missing out all the joining words, aren't you? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the joining words can be there, 
But we tend not to symbolise those joining words because actually if you are symbolising a sentence, it can get visually overcluttered and then actually you lose the meaning with that as well. So taking out the symbols for the articles, the little words, actually makes more sense. And you're, it's a bit like learning a foreign language. I, I don't, you know, I did A-level French, not that I remember a lot, but to, to get by, I, I kind of survive on nouns and verbs. And yes. it's a bit like, you know, that's good symbolization is actually symbolizing the key vocabulary rather than the joining words, as you say, unless you're actually working on those particular words. So it could be that speech and language therapist has asked a child to be working on conjunctions or working on the article the, and in which case then having a symbol, albeit slightly abstract and having to learn what that means, actually helps them to remind them that they need to say that word when they're conveying a sentence. But generally, yeah, simple sentences and key symbolisation. So... On the podcast before, we've had a couple of speech and language therapists. I already know the answer to this. I think I know. I'm it. get it right then. <laughs> I'm not going to. It's not a test. It's fine. So why is using symbols to communicate important for pupils' well-being? Again, I think it's around that way to express yourself and to avoid anxiety in the first place. So I'm anxious going into school because I don't know what's going to happen. So my mental health, my well-being is not good. I might have had a bit of a tantrum going in because I don't want to. I don't know what's going to happen. Now, if there's a visual timetable in the classroom showing exactly what's going to happen, or my teacher is giving me a now and next board, so I know that now I'm going to do this and next is going to be something slightly nicer, then my anxiety levels are reduced because I'm not stressed about what's going to happen. In the same way, in terms of rules and expectations, if I go into an environment and I don't know what the rules are, I don't know how to behave, then I I can get anxious, I can get worked up, I can get frustrated. But if I've got golden rules that have been symbolised, or if I've got a social story that set out expectations with symbols and I can access that and read it, then again, I have lower anxiety, so my mental health and my well-being is better. Another way in terms of using them, a lot of teachers now will ask children in the mornings when they register them, how are you feeling today? And again, some of our young people don't have the vocabulary to say, I'm embarrassed or I'm tired or I'm frustrated. They might know happy and sad, but if you've got a visual or a symbol that's got that emotion on it, then it can be pointed to or it can be held up and it just helps to understand that, that those emotions and, and help children to, to self-regulate. Symbols for well-being are used within zones of regulation. So I suspect you would have probably heard um, had podcasts or zones of regulation before and a lot of people will actually add emotion symbols into those four colour zones to help the children understand where they are. Another way that they're used is within the Carrie Dunboran's Incredible Five Point Scale, which is used quite a lot for children on the autistic spectrum. And again, a symbol indicating which level of frustration, anxiety, anger they are in, and a symbol indicating what they can do to alleviate that and bring themselves back down to the next level. And um, just a you know, wild card here, I'm potentially a child who's dyslexic, gets very anxious and their well-being is not great when they have to read something. 
if I put symbols on that, they can use those symbols to help them decode. They can read more fluently. The comprehension and understanding of what they're reading is such great, so much greater. Their self-esteem is better. They're positive about reading. They want to do it next time. So I think they can be used in so many different ways. We have lots of different examples of resources for well-being. I don't know if you, again, circles of control, have you come across those? Not, what's that? So circles of control are basically two circles, an inner circle, an outer circle, and an outside bit, like you have on a Venn diagram. And the inner circle is something that you can control. The outer circle is something that you can't control very much. We might have a little bit of influence on, but not a great deal. And outside of that, you've got no control. And often anxiety and and well-being is related to the things that I want to be able to control or I can't control, but I'm worrying about it anyway. So again, you know, we can put symbols in each of those areas in the circles of control and children who are nonverbal or children who have the vocabulary or haven't got the language and understanding as such yet again they can understand that it's there's not a lot of point worrying about this thing because I can't change it so again you know again you know that's a positivity in terms of well-being and mental health so I think when I asked that question the main thing I was thinking about was kind of people's being able to express themselves Mm -hmm. and have those preferences and and what they want to do and how they feel. That's mainly yep. what I'd completely, I completely forgotten about them being able to access the environment. And as you said, understanding the rules or purpose of this room. Yeah. Um, and that's quite an important thing. If you're going into a room, and I, again, I've realized I've seen that in a couple of schools where you have the golden rules and things like that. And it's all symbolized out and things like that. And it just helps as a child walking into this room going, what, what's expected of me? Yeah. What am I here? Why am I here? And seeing those rules, being able to access them in a simple way is it's really important because there's, there's nothing worse. And we all do it. You go somewhere where you're literally walking in going, oh, I'm a bit uncomfortable now because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's, what's next. What's next, yeah. Well, we all, we, do, we all do it, don't we? We're on conferences and events and, and CPD and, you know, we, we want to know when coffee is and when I can get to the loo you know it's just taking it one step further in terms of putting a symbol there for you know young people because we, we would like to know what's going on otherwise we get a bit anxious about what's going to happen next it is the first thing you do when you get that book in the morning yep. is schedule hour and a half till tea yep. I can deal with that <laughs> but we do you sit there and you think you're the only person who does that <laughs> no well, at least you everyone. and I definitely do even if there's no one else but it is it is that that sense of, and I, I have done those circles, I haven't really, but yeah, I did that with them, Alison. But yeah, that no control, some control, full control is a big thing. And the moment you have no idea what's going on, you've got no control. The moment you've seen that schedule, you've now got a bit more of control of what's going to happen because you can kind of think, right, don't drink too much because I've got an hour and a half so I can get to the toilet. And things, and you can you can, you can have some control of what you're going to do and you can go, oh, I'm not sitting the most comfortable, but I can, I can cope with this for an hour and a half. So yeah, it, it gives you that, that level of control but yeah so symbols it's for me i know there is from again working with speech and language therapists a very big overlap between what poor mental health and the inability to communicate and not as i said not just purely of 
that literal, I want to communicate, but those feelings and frustrations and all of those things are really important. And again, on Reddit or Facebook today, that's one of those lovely things, one of those nice meme-worthy pictures on one of my Senko groups, which I'm just trying to get back to, which was, don't think... Presuming a non-verbal child has nothing to say is like presuming an adult without a car has nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, true. It is. Just because they can't vocalise and verbalise those Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they like everything. No, absolutely. And and we make assumptions, well, everyone else likes this, so they'll probably like it as well. No, you, you need to find out. Yeah, so you know the, the the AAC obviously there's kind of high tech devices which allowed that would which will allow a child to have an electronic voice to do that, but the low tech devices or low tech communication, which is basically just a, a sheet or a communication book of symbols where you can actually point to it and communicate, and you can build up sentences using that as well, starting to use colourful semantics terms of being able to build up a sentence then that is it's such a powerful thing for a child to be able to do that but I mean I, I know I keep going away from the things that you're talking about go wherever you want <laughs> I think it's a lot of people think about symbols just in terms of communication and just being able to give a voice to a child who is non-verbal but they are so much greater so we think in terms of, of words, we use words and vocabulary in so many ways. But if you have a poor vocabulary, it doesn't matter whether you can articulate or otherwise. If you don't have the word for something, then you can't explain yourself or express yourself or you don't understand what's being said to you. So again, in terms of that emotional well-being, if I'm in the classroom and my teacher is talking about, I don't know, hydroelectric power stations and I've got no idea what that means if I have a symbol or if there's been pre-teaching of that vocabulary with that symbol to explain what hydro means and what hydroelectric means then I can understand that lesson and I don't then need to play up and be disruptive because I can take part in that and if I'm taking part I've got positive well-being I've got self-esteem If I don't understand and I get into that negative spiral of disruption and poor behavior, then my self-esteem is low. I'm labeled naughty and inverted commas and everything goes downhill from then. I don't want to go back to school. Low self-esteem, low positive well-being. So I think definitely they are used for communication in terms of being able to support nonverbal or selective mute or, you know, somebody in that such that state of anxiety with either sensory overload or, or anxiety overload that they need a symbol to be able to communicate. But I think it's so much bigger than that as well. I think it's one of the things, again, speech and language therapists are amazing when they help you think about things is when your children are in sort of reception in year one, you do often have lots of visual prompts around that classroom to help them. And they'll learn. Now, if you have a child in year four working at that level, that wall is a very different place. So sometimes where you had those prompts is is having it not on the wall, but having those maybe symbols and a more personal thing or more local on a piece of paper or book with them. Yep. So again, you're giving them that same support, but a, a more of an age-appropriate, suitable way. But you're giving them that scaffolding they need, as you said, to access that lesson. 
And that's all about your inclusive classroom, isn't it? Giving, you know, yeah. meeting the needs of, the, of each child. You've got an EAL child in your class. You're going to have to scaffold so much more by giving them that vocabulary. You've got a child, yeah, say, speech and language difficulties who just has poor vocabulary. It gives them access to that lesson. It gives them independence in that lesson. So your TA is not having to be with them all the time because they can independently understand what it is that they have to do. They can access what the teacher's saying, what the peers are saying. I mean, it's, it's all about that inclusion. So it's not, you're not doing the exact, you're trying to, you're doing it as same as you can. You're giving them the same opportunities. You're asking them, how, what did you do at the weekend? You're asking them what their views are. It's just how you're communicating that to them and how they're communicating back is just a different approach. But they can still share and have, share the same, what they've been up to and have the same opinions as others. Yeah, definitely. But it is it's important we get that information. We give them the opportunity. Because sometimes when you first ask them, they, they don't know. No. And, and again, that's another thing in terms of why visuals and symbols are so helpful is that your words are transitory. Once you've said something it's disappeared. So if I want to get a message across and I want a child to know what to do, to you know, complete their learning task, whatever it is, if I've said it and it's disappeared and I've got poor attention and listening or poor short-term memory, that's gone. Whereas if I've got something that's symbolised, be it a timetable or a, a sentence, instructions, again, it's there. And again, it all goes back to that same thing, doesn't it? If I can access, if I can do it, positive I'm happy I can you know take part in the lesson be a part be included feel part of the class so I was just reading because you sent me a link a list of useful links and you co-authored a report which is uh walking the talk of vocabulary recovery plan for primary schools that's correct yes and again it made me think of during covid which I suppose that recovery plan is for is children learn through modeling yep Everybody learns through modelling. And and there's been lots of research and lots of people evidencing that the language skills coming into schools are much lower. Yeah. Because children's parents were either working or they just and but so they they parents haven't had the time to be with them when others may have, depending on that parents' work set up. But also they've missed out on music with mummy, where they've done the nursery rhymes. They would have missed out on all of those play groups and nursery and things like that and being at home. Yeah. So you're going to have, although physically you've got children coming to reception age four or five, a lot of those skills are going to be much lower. And that vocabulary, I suppose, will be much smaller. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Education Endowment Foundation reported that like something like 75, 76% of primary schools had said pupils starting school after the pandemic had needed much more support with communication than previous years. So, yeah, it's completely and utterly widespread that you didn't have exposure to the language in the school. You didn't have exposure to those social situations and social interactions. So that social and emotional, as well as the, the language and the vocabulary, were all affected by the pandemic. And that word gap, I believe, you know, is growing. Yeah. And, as, and yeah, that word gap's growing, but there's a certain, you can't just go, oh, well, here's a load of new words. No. It's all got to be done in a context of to actually understand. It's that you understand some, you understand a word 
when you understand what's behind it. So the hydroelectric power stations, oh, it's a water, you turn it into, yeah, great, I get it now. So yeah, certain words, you kind of have to put it in a context of the play or things like that, like the word share. What does share mean? Is you, you do it when, you, when, you, when you're arguing over things and you take turns yeah. and all that. What's take turns? And you just pull it all apart, actually. Everything you've said to me, I have no idea what any of you said. <laughs> What's a term? Where do I take it? That's right. So I think, you know, te- teachers have to be more proactive in terms of the teaching of vocabulary. So we talk about direct teaching of tier two vocabulary, kind of the wow words that are found in books or the Goldilocks words, and actually proactively teaching those, maybe teaching them with, with phonics, with meaning, with a symbol to back that up. Um, but also the pre-teaching of your tier three words, your vocabulary, uh, sorry, your topic-based words. So like hydroelectric, that seems to be the, the, the flavour of the day. But but yeah, so again, you're actually physically spending time teaching that vocabulary so that the children have access to that. And that is, those, those symbols will help yep. embed that. Absolutely. Another quote, if I'm allowed, or, or research. Yes. So back in the 1970s, Alan Pavio came up with a concept of something called dual coding which when you think about it, it makes sense because he was talking about the idea is of using different types of stimuli to help learners encode information in their brains more effectively, enabling them to retrieve it much more easily. And the dual coding is your visual and your verbal because they are in different left sides of the brain. So if you kind of think of your brain as a, a filing system, yep. if you've heard a word and that's filed in your auditory side of your brain in that that container and then you've seen a picture of it and it's filed in a different side of your brain so when you're trying to retrieve that word you've got two options for opening the drawers to try and get it back again and obviously you're adding the semantics the meaning for that in there and and the, the symbol is giving you that semantic meaning as well so dual coding i believe is coming back into fashion it was certainly in fashion when i was teaching but and that that's kind of how i got perhaps, you know, starting in, in using symbols and supporting young people with visuals. But yeah, I've seen articles sort of quoting dual coding and Alan Pavio again. Now, it's the same with teaching, isn't it? If you wait long enough, the circle comes around again. It is. It's so much fun watching yeah. that come around. You just see things and you're like, oh, we're back here again. Yeah. And that's the thing is it might, it's sometimes, it, sometimes stuff is purely fashion. It really is. And it's quite interesting because of, of B-squared, we do small steps of progress and we work with scotland england and the welsh curriculum you can see certain similarities in terms of attainment across all of them that's all expected at that level that's expected at that level and then one of the countries will do something so much earlier than the rest right not for any scientific reason but generally it's often because somebody felt that that was an important thing they they feel that it was missed out so they need to put it in and they shove it in really early you look at other countries or other things and going, it's not anywhere else like that. And you just really look at, right, is there any evidence for this? And you can't find any evidence. And sometimes it is purely one person's decided and it is a fashion. Yeah. And it might be that somebody's read about the dual coding. That's right. And But that person's now an influential person. So, oh, that must be the right. It's probably right all the way along. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't fashionable until, until it was brought back. Sue from Widget <laughs> mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. But so I think we were going back to the walking the talk and the 
vocabulary recovery plan. So lots and lots of ideas in there for for teachers in terms of using symbols in many, many different ways around tier two, tier three vocabulary, around emotions, around routines, all kind of, as I say, you know, in terms of supporting children to be independent, to be learners. And then that, again, is is about creating a positive feeling of, of well-being in the classroom. So just a question around widget, just because of my head works. So I, I generally, when I go around schools, I see them paper-based or printed out, laminated, stuck on doors. So that's the medical room. That's the head teacher's yep. office. You you know what that room is for and things like that. And you know lights, which you see them stuck everywhere. I've also seen them used on iPads and things like that, where you can kind of push a button or sort of, or you can write it into a story and things like that. Yep. Is there a way to sort of digitally communicate via symbols? So if I type in a symbol on my iPad, that will appear on someone else's? Not through any widget software. There may be other providers that are doing things like that. I, I've, I've never seen it, but I, I know... Mm for my nephew nothing about things but it's that ability to n- be seen as normal yeah to not stand out and if you ask the question what have you done this weekend or things like that is often if, if i'm putting symbols on my screen you've got to come over from where you are to share to see that and i i, I sometimes again it's with those symbols, it's very much you have to look at my screen. Yes. I suppose you can save things. I suppose you can write a document and save it and print that out yeah, and, and things like and that. We can share things through links in the cloud. So we can we can share resources with people. So you can create something and then share it to a phone or a, a tablet and take it out and about with you. But that isn't yeah. interactive in, in the respect that you're talking about yeah. in terms of a two-way conversation. Yeah, but I'm trying to work out because, yeah, is it a whole conversation? But I suppose that you you can have that conversations via this via symbols can't you yes would you not yeah i think you could yes. yeah in terms of in terms of text based communication so if i was writing a letter to you or i was writing an email and you wanted to immediately response respond to that or text yes then then yes there's no reason why you couldn't use symbols to do that except that at the Most. moment we haven't developed the software to do that there you go. That's a new there idea. Yeah. Because we know teenagers do literally, you can just see teenagers do nothing but emojis for a hundred messages. And you're literally going, I have no idea what this means. And they'll <laughs> tell you exactly what it means. And you're looking at them going, if you say so, I get told off for using the wrong smiley. I'm going, it's just one which laughing. Should we know that's not laughing. No, I know. That means this. I went, no, he's laughing. Should we know that's the laughing one? That's just two laughing yeah. ones. No, they're different. I'm going, who cares? <laughs> but obviously it makes, it makes a, difference a difference to my teenage daughter. Yes, indeed. Yeah. We have lots of emotion symbols if you want to choose some of those instead. <laughs> but only but only one happy one. So how can you only have one happy one? But I, I guess you simplistic, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose, yes. Yes. Lots of yeah, different skin yeah. tones that you can apply to that. So you can make it more inclusive in terms of individuals that you're working with. But uh, yeah, only one simple concept of happy. Yeah. That's the thing, when, when I think about, when I, again, going back to speech and language therapists and things like that, they've talked about if you can only do something, let's say a school use widget, uh, uh, the only English department in a secondary school use widget, but not the rest of the school, then the child won't really learn to rely on it. To, re- to really embrace it and take it on and rely on it and use it and it become to that front of your mind when you're trying to communicate with someone, 
you've got to be really embedded in it and using it throughout school and home. So that's why I was sort of wondering about, can you communicate kind of real time digitally with that? Because you really want to promote that communication. And again, if you think with sign language, you may have a child who does sign language, but there's only one other person in that room who can do sign language. And if they go for a tea break, <laughs> you're just sitting there going, when they come back, I can talk to someone again. So yeah, I just... No, I think I think it's a it's a really good good idea. I think traditionally symbol users and symbol resources have been created by an an adult carer for the use of an individual, rather than it being the individuals who are communicating themselves between each other's or between themselves and a carer or a, an adult. But I think I think there is you know, potential in that. So I suppose again, I try to work out for vocabulary. I think. With words like hydroelectric power station, I'm going to keep coming back to that's the word of the day. I know from my vocabulary, hydro, hydro water, yep. electric. Yeah, so I can pit. And I suppose when you have that, some of those symbols, if you have a wide, big, you could decode them. Yes. So like the book in a building. If you know what a book is and you know what a building is, oh, it's a building full of books. Yep. Are a lot of symbols easy to decode for someone who has no idea what that symbol might be, or would they generally need to be introduced to what they are? Again, it's, I think it would very much depend on the cognitive ability of the child and their own experience of, of objects and photographs and, and kind of life, really. So nouns, nouns and verbs, if, you're, if you know what a cat is, then a symbol of a cat is going to be very representative and, and that's, that's fine. There are some that will need to be taught. So there are concepts, prepositions, for example. We have a, what we call a schema, which means that things are drawn to a, a set of rules. So your prepositions are a red circle is on a white box or it's under a white box or it's next to a white box. So there are some rules that potentially need to be learned in using a symbol system if you're going to be using it purely as your communication um, support. But a symbol for fire, if you're doing the Great Fire of London and you're writing about the Great Fire of London, then symbol for fire is some flames. And you know most people will have had experience of fire and will recognise that to be able to decode fire because they've got the use of the, the flames there. So I'd say it was a mixture. Obviously, in terms of you know particularly abstract words, you would need an explanation to go with that. But once you've got that, again, you've got that that semantic meaning you've got the, the picture that's then going to help you to remember that and the vocabulary as well so yeah a, a mixture really some obvious some less so and and some children will need you know more introduction so they would go through the stages of object of reference to photograph representation to symbolic representation to text-based representation so it's like a child learning language at the outset you know you see a duck in the park duck we have a plastic duck in the bath, duck. We're reading a book about the ugly duckling, picture of a duck. Then, you know, you can move on to then a symbol for a duck or then a, you know, the word, the, the letters, D-U-C-K, duck. So it's it's kind of building up that stage if you've got children with you know, particularly complex needs that need to go through that. But children with an experience will recognise a symbol for a duck because they've had that experience of, of seeing it out and about and in books and so on. 
That's what I love about this podcast. I just get to find out about lots of different things that I've not had experience about, but I get to hear from <laughs> an expert who uses it a lot. Who goes, yeah, no, not that, but yes, this. It's great. I, re- I do I do enjoy it. Because like I see symbols all the way around schools, and I love it. I don't like it when I go to schools, but I don't see symbols. Neither do um, I. <laughs> I do like it. And one of the experiences I had, which again was just, I, I loved it. I was at upper school in Scotland and it was a secondary school and the students which were in S5 in Scotland or year 11 in England, they run a bit of a cafe. So when we have a meeting, one of the students comes in and hands out basically a menu for each of you and with the symbols yep. on. So it's tea, coffee, and this coffee's got with milk. So you literally hand him your labels. Right, yeah. So he then knows, actually, I need to make one, two, three, four, five cups of tea and one, two, three coffees. Perfect. And this pupil who, it basically, it was really clever in lots of different ways, but really simple, and I loved mm-hmm. it. And for someone who has never really experienced the use of symbols apart from walking around the schools and seeing them, it was fascinating that where... You've just removed lots of barriers, yep. which we've kind of by writing things down. He can make the tea. He can make the coffee. It's recording how we've just simplified that whole process and allowed him to do the bits he can do. That's a really lovely practical example, isn't it? Yeah. And I was like that. It was absolute genius to me. It was a really good thing to do. And, and, and that again, when we're talking about that well-being and reducing that anxiety, is we're basically just removing some of those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. That's all we're, t- we're not talking about there's a magic thing you do. You're just saying most people can do this, but actually if they're anxious, if they're like this, by using this, we're really leveling up that playing field. Yeah. So we, we, we're making everything inclusive. We're reducing the anxiety. We're giving everybody access and, yeah, hopefully having a positive and happy classroom in the process excellent so before we wrap up anything else you want to add around this topic i know you could probably then talk for two hours yes. off, but <laughs> i think i think we've covered quite a, quite a lot during this and i think you know we've come at it potentially from different angles you initially from the the being able to express verbally and using symbols from that and i've come at, at it from a different angle in terms of the, the wider usage so i think it's been really useful yeah thank you that's the thing I, I, find, I always find it interesting because saying I've not been a teacher, so I've, I've not been embedded in this. I see going around schools bits of things without the full understanding of the why or the how. So it means when I get to talk to someone, I've got my very limited experience. I come in, you're going, well, we've seen about 5% of it. There's a whole other world you haven't seen, which is really fascinating for me to understand. And again, there will be people who listen who've probably never used symbols because they might not be a teacher or they've used it a certain way or they've seen it used, but not sure why. So again, I think going back to basics often really helps people understand the why we use things. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So thank you for coming on the show today. Sue's given me a couple of links, which I will share, including that report and a trial of widgets, which you can have a look at. So we'll be putting the links to the things we've mentioned and other things in our show notes. And I'll also be sharing Sue's contact details and you'll find the show notes on our website or wherever you listen to the podcast. 
So if you haven't subscribed already, click on that subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just literally search for The Sendcast and you'll find us. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, come and have a look at B Squared and see what we do. You can go through the B Squared website or you can book an online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a huge range of assessment products to help you show small steps of progress across a wide range of abilities and ages. You can also find out about our online training, our conferences, read our blog, watch our webinars, and so much more. It is all on the B Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. And also you can drop me an email with my to my email address. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And I guess it's goodbye from me. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Cheerio. Bye.